Hey, hey, this is Allie, and welcome to the Allie Worthington Show. It's where we gather, learn, share our stories, and have a great time. Every week, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know, who I like, and I respect, and I want to learn something from. And after we have that discussion, we are going to have coaching time. So I'm going to be answering your questions about life, about faith, and about business. Welcome to the show. I'm with the very wise Sissy Goff. She is a brilliant counselor and she shares insight on what's going on with our kids and anxiety. I mean, after the year we've had, this is a really important conversation. Now, she's going to tell us what the sometimes silent clues are that our kids are dealing with anxiety because especially in girls, apparently anxiety, you can't really tell until things get really far out of hand. She's going to break down what anxiety looks like for girls and boys because it often looks really different and what we can do as parents to support our kids. This is a really important topic and it's an important show for everyone. I would love it if as you are watching, you click that share button and you text it to a friend who also is raising kids or teenagers. This is one of those conversations that we need to share. I was talking last week about The reason I have this show is to learn from people and to find great info that we all need and share it with people. So I'm sharing it with you. But what I need for you to do is share it with your friends. This is one of those shows that's going to empower us to be better parents, better aunts, better grandmas, better friends to people dealing with anxiety. It's really, really important. And I don't want anyone to miss it. And after we talk with Sissy, I am answering a faith question today. The faith question we got in, a really sweet lady said, I want to host a Bible study, but I didn't go to seminary. Is it okay for me to still host one? Short answer, yes. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you why in our coaching time. And I'm super excited to tell you again, as always, you need to get standing strong. If you don't have it and you listen to the show, what are you doing with your life? Standing strong is going to show you how to overcome adversity and how to live with confidence. Whatever God is putting in your heart to do, start a Bible study, start a business, foster a child, build a garden, have those tough conversations. It is going to be your guide on how to get it done. So go to AllieWorthington.com, go to the top of the front page, and you're going to see a little banner across my site that says, download the first four chapters of Standing Strong. 100% free. I want you to have them. I feel like you're going to be blessed by them. And it's going to be so helpful that you're going to want the book. And when you go to Amazon and you get the book, you can go to my site on the Standing Strong page, put that receipt number in in the little form, and I am going to send you a six-week free video Bible study. I'm also going to give you my masterclass on finding your calling and living with confidence. It's normally $250, but it's free when you get Standing Strong. So get Standing Strong send me a DM on Instagram. Let me know that you got it. It makes me so happy that you did. Okay, without further ado, here's Sissy talking about how we can help our kids deal with anxiety. Now, Sissy, I love everything that you do. I love all of the work you do as a counselor, as an advocate for mental health. And one thing I especially love is you show up on Instagram with that cute little dog. Is it Lucy? (laughs) Yes, Allie, it's Lucy. She counsels with me every day. Oh my goodness, that's adorable. Oh, she's a great little friend to have. And is I mean, you know, so many kids that go to counseling for the first time are really scared. And we have yeah. five dogs on staff at Daystar. And so to be greeted by 
a little puppy, my dog actually waves or an old English sheepdog, you know, it's just disarming in this really amazing way. I feel like that would be that way for adults. If I went to therapy and there was a dog there, I would be very happy. That's so true. You just feel so much more comfortable. Yeah. Okay. So the dogs just come with counselors. They're the counselor's dogs. Yes, they're the counselor's dogs, and they have to obviously go through a good bit of training before they do that. But yes, mm-hmm. then we get to bring our dogs to work, which is, is so fun. adorable. I love that. Okay, so there's a sheep dog. Tell me about Lucy. Yes. So Lucy, well, I thought she was a Havanese, but I don't think she is. I think she's got a few <laughs> things mixed in, but that's okay. So she's super cute. So she's just teeny little ball of fluff. Oh, adorable. And she really does have this trick where I say wave, and she you know, does her pause at the person, which just melts. So Did you kids. train her for this? For counseling or for waving? For waving. <laughs> she kind of <laughs> did it the first day I met her. And when we started puppy school, they said, give her treats and praise her and she'll keep doing it. And she does and does it on command. Oh, that's adorable. I have a golden retriever, an elderly one Aww. and a puppy. Elderly one, we didn't do a good job training. So basically she's the boss. But the puppy <laughs> is about 60 pounds and she's six months old. No. And she's just, she's just running into everything. And and, (laughs) like she board checks us. She, uh, she's just, she's massive and huge. So one day, one day we're going to get her under control. Yes. We have a golden retriever at Daystar too. They are the best. Mm -hmm. I can't believe you have had as many boys as you have and golden retrievers, because I think young boys are a lot like a golden retriever puppy in so many ways. They really are. And one, and our elderly one, she's 11. We took mm-hmm. her in as a rescue. She had been abused, and we, we really were kind of too gentle with her with the training. So she's always been kind of the boss. Luckily, she's super sweet. But one of the neighbors used to joke that it was so good to see her name's Molly. It was so good to see Molly taking the boys out for a walk every day around the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. She just she drove them all over the neighborhood. It's very funny. Well, Lucy is the, definitely the boss of me. She... Every new session I bring up to my office, she literally waves until I give her a treat. So it's super distracting for the person. So she gets treats all day long. She's probably the heaviest Havanese walking around Nashville. That is adorable. Well, our our puppy that we got, it was a classic pandemic puppy. You know, we're all home. And I said, this is the time. Everybody can help with the dog. And I have read through the years that dogs were great to help kids with anxiety. Yes. And my one of my older boys, he I, w- I was talking about that. I said, you know, we're we're all kind of going through it locked at home and um he said I've always through the years taken Molly out for walks and told her my problems. And I thought oh, that is adorable. That's yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. I I have so many kids say that I had a girl I was counseling whose dad died and she said, you know, I feel like really the only person I can talk to is my dog. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, yeah, they're phenomenal creatures. Dogs are the best. They're the best. So maybe cats of, are too. Who knows? Well, but. I mean, maybe I'm allergic, so I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we've had this year, I mean, over yes. a year now, that's no. been really traumatic for kids. Now you're in the middle of focus on kids, counseling them, helping them through. What do you see with COVID that you didn't see before? Like, what are the trends? What What's going on right now? Well, you know, it's it's so interesting to have watched. I've been counseling kids now for almost 30 years and families. And so, you know, we see trends generally. And mm-hmm. pre-COVID, we were seeing this huge escalation in anxiety. And so 
Before it started, we were at one in four kids with girls twice as likely. The average age of onset had been eight. It was dropping to six. So we were seeing it in little bitty ones. And and that was really the population I was most concerned about before this all started. And it was fascinating, Allie, when it, when it really hit. You know, as you said, we all moved to lockdown. And so I had had I mean, a week before these little girls in my office who were starting to hear about the virus, didn't understand it, were just riddled with anxiety. Fast forward a week later, and you know, I mean, in the early stages of the pandemic, we were all doing this beautiful job of leaning in with such intentionality with families and Mm -hmm. doing these creative things and talking about it so much. And I had these kids who were hopping onto the Zoom calls with a stuffed animal tucked up under one arm and you know, they were they were zooming me around their rooms. I was getting nauseated all the time at the Zoom camera <laughs> because of all the things they were showing me. But there was a restfulness and a peacefulness that I think those kids hadn't experienced in a long time. Mm. And that was really, I was so encouraged and excited for those kids. And they were spending so much time at home with family, you know, just purposefully connecting. And I think that's part of what we had lost. I think we Culturally, we're just doing too much, moving too fast, and kids were often getting the brunt of that really unintentionally from us as adults. And so, really, for a good period of time, I felt great about those kids. And I had written a book for young kids about anxiety called Braver, Stronger, Smarter, and one for parents. And then, all of a sudden, I think part of it was I got a little stir crazy with all this time, but I started to get too really worried about adolescence. Because, you know, for adolescents, so much life for them comes from peers. Yeah. And so the loneliness really immediately started impacting them in a very different way. And so I cranked out this book really fast about anxiety and and adolescence. And as time has marched on, what we're seeing more of, I mean, I'm seeing on a daily basis in my office is this anxiety has given way to pretty significant depression. And, you know, I mean, the suicide rates, suicide ideality rates, I mean, it's all going up significantly because I think they're lonely. And in you know, it's different state to state, obviously, but I mean, I think the kids who are isolated are the ones I'm most worried about still. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I mean, I can just see from my past year, it was, oh, this is great. We're all home to, oh, I, I'm kind of <laughs> bummed out being at home. Yes. Like, I yes. got to get out of here. So, and I have all of these tools. I have years of counseling behind me. I, you know, I pretty much know what I'm doing and it's been rough for me. So imagine a child, a teenager who is lonely without a lifetime of, of experience and tools to be able to tap into. No, that makes perfect sense. And the losses they're experiencing. I mean, that's huge too. So yeah, there's been so many things that have been a part of it for them that I think's led to this point emotionally. In terms of anxiety or anxiety or depression, how do they manifest differently for boys and girls? Well, you know, one of the, I did a lot of research with these books. And one of the things that I read that I thought was so fascinating is that whereas anxiety occurs more frequently in girls, boys are taken in for treatment more. Hmm. And I think boys often, I mean, I think with all of their emotions, most boys will go outward with that. And so you're going to see it more as outbursts, often as anger. David Thomas, who is my dear friend and coworker, talks about how at a certain age, 
boys' primary emotions all get funneled into anger. And I think we see so much of that. And then that's why kids end up in our offices. Boys end up in our offices. Whereas for so many girls, you know, that desire to please is really significant. And they feel so much pressure, but girls often will go inward with it. I mean, Mm -hmm. sometimes they're more explosive. And I think especially little ones that don't have the words to put to what's going on, don't have coping skills. I think parents will talk about anxiety and and demandingness and control, manipulation, those kind of words with little girls. But I think the older they get, the more inward. And so so often girls, I mean, I think part of why boys are taken in for treatment more is the anxious girls are the ones who really fly below the radar. You know, those parents go in for parent-teacher conferences and the teachers say, I wish every child in my class acted like your daughter because she's working hard. She's trying hard to make friends. She's academically really driven. And we don't know that inside, often she's kind of crumbling under the weight of this pressure that often she's even putting on herself. Now, you mentioned before girls feeling anxiety as young as six. What is triggering that? Because when I hear that, because I have no idea, the first thing that came to my mind was, is it their parents putting pressure on them? Because what influences are you under at age six? At six, I know. It should just be Sesame Street and great little picture books (laughs) and preschool. Well, genetically, if as a parent you have anxiety or it's in your family at all, kids are seven times more likely to just have it from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so often parents aren't doing a thing. But I also, I mean, I would say, again, you know, we can talk about trends in kids. We can also talk about trends in parents. And one of the things that I'm seeing happen a lot is, you know, I think you may have been, Allie. I certainly wasn't in counseling as a kid. And I think a lot of our parents weren't in counseling and we weren't growing up. You know, I don't think most of us were passing around a feelings chart around our dinner table saying, name three emotions you (laughs) felt today. So what's happening is we've got this culture now that's doing a great job of trying to figure out both, I think, social and emotional learning and development with kids. And I think to some degree, unintentionally, we're overdoing it sometimes, Mm. where we're going a little too far with understanding kids, where we're basically we're understanding them, but we're not helping them work themselves towards something different. We're not giving them the coping strategy. Oh, talk about that a little bit. Well, okay. For example, I had, I thought this was so fascinating. I had a little girl come into my office. And so Daystar, we're in this really cute yellow house that's two stories. And, and I mean, it, every office looks like a living room. As we talked about, we have dogs. And so Just that initial softening that takes place, I literally, I know our office is going to do some of that. I feel pretty confident that kids are going to come in and feel pretty good when they walk in, even if they're nervous. Mm -hmm. And so I had this little girl who was there for anxiety, and I came down the stairs to meet her. And you and I haven't met in person yet, but I have a really enormous smile. And so I smiled at her across the lobby and waved, and this little girl smiled really big and waved back. And I walked over to her and said, hey, I'm Sissy. I'm so excited you're at Daystar. And I'm going to take you on a tour and then we're going to go upstairs and I want to introduce you to my little dog, Lucy, that's going to love you. And this little girl hopped up to follow me and her mom grabbed her arm and said, do you feel comfortable with that? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and the little girl's face fell. And I think it had never or never occurred to her not to feel comfortable following me until her mom said that. And her mom, who I think had the best of intentions, followed us on the whole tour, sat directly across from my office the whole time I was meeting with her daughter. 
And then came in, of course, and said, I had anxiety when I was a kid and my parents never understood me. So I'm committed to doing that with her. And I think she was doing it and she was checking all the time. And I think we end up sometimes, well, I'll tell you. So the two most common parenting strategies in light of anxiety are escape and avoidance. So Mm. my child comes up unto the scary thing. And I can tell they're in distress. I love them. I want the best for them. And so I'm going to pull them out of it. I'm going to fix it for them. Mm -hmm. Rather than communicating, you've got this. I'm going to help you with some tools to do it. But I believe you're capable. And, And in those books, I came up with this definition of anxiety, that anxiety is an overestimation of the problem and an underestimation of ourselves. Mm, that's great. So when they encounter this problem and we pull them out, we're saying, yep, it's too big. You're too small. You can't do it. Not meaning to. We would never mean to communicate that to kids. But I think, you know, just that simple idea of you can do it. You got this. I think that's what we need to be communicating to kids all the time. Pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, any time in our lives, we need to be communicating that to them. (laughs) What are some signs that parents can look for, whether it's a boy or a girl, that their child may be dealing with anxiety? I think for younger ones, it does often come out as anger. I mean, boys Mm -hmm. of all ages, I think it can come out as anger. Girls are going to hit a point where they start to go underground. So, and what I would look for, you know, anytime I meet with a parent who's talking a lot about dysregulated anger in kids, I'll try and get them to kind of link to what's happening around it. You know, what are the circumstances involving it? What's going on for them? outside of that moment. And often it is transitions. It's unpredictability. You know, it's picking them up from school and they think they're going to do one thing for the rest of the afternoon. And you tell them all of a sudden everything's changed. I mean, if someone told me in the middle of a day that everything post three o'clock was going to be different than what I thought my day was going to look like, I'd get anxious, you know, but I have the words to say that makes me anxious when you change my schedule. They don't have the words often and they don't have the power to do anything different. And so I think we want to really pay attention to what's what's the environment around it, number one. Number two, I think we want to watch for anything in terms of their body. A lot of anxious kids. I mean, the reason I call my little girl's book Braver, Stronger, Smarter is because anxious kids typically are really high achieving. They're really bright. They're trying really hard. Things matter to them. They care so deeply. It's all of these amazing things about who God's made them to be. And it's like, they can't turn the volume down. They care too much all the time. They're trying too hard all the time. And so those kids often don't want to say, I feel angry, or I was disappointed when, or so-and-so really hurt my feelings. And so it morphs into anxiety. Or They'll have chronic headaches or tummy aches. And so we want to watch for physical issues with those kids. And then the way I talk about it the most in my office with kids is I'll say, is it kind of like the one loop roller coaster at the fair? Like you get something in your head and you just can't get it out no matter how hard you try. And I think that's what it feels like for so many of them. And, and we might not know they're looping except for these are the kids who will say, tell me the schedule for tomorrow when they're going to bed. Wait, will you go over it with me one more time? Or they're afraid of going to sleep at night. And so... They'll create these, they'll ask you a lot of questions and then they'll have these routines that you have to say this and then they say this and then you say prayers this way and then you shut the door to this degree. You know, they create these elaborate structures or questions to try and, you know, they're just trying to come up with coping strategies and they don't know them. And so they come up with their own devices that are really coping strategies for them that I don't think we even realize that's what it is. 
Okay, that is fascinating. Okay, what can parents do to best support kids who do struggle with anxiety? Well, the great thing is anxiety is the most prevalent condition among kids, but it's also the most treatable. And and I really wrote the anxiety books to say, you know, my hope is that these things are going to work folks like me out of a job because there are such practical <laughs> things they can do at home now if you have a child who has anxiety. So I'll tell you my top three. And parents can do these today with their kids. So, okay, from a body standpoint, you may know all this, Allie, I feel sure that you know all this, but but what's happening is, you know, we have blood flowing all throughout our brain, including going to our prefrontal cortex that helps us think rationally and manage our emotions. When we get anxious, the blood vessels in our brain constrict and it shifts the blood flow away from our prefrontal cortex into the amygdala that we know mm-hmm. is fight or flight. And so literally, I mean, I sit with so many parents who, are, who will say, they're like a crazy person when they get to this place. I can't talk them out of it. Right. The, the reasoning part of their brain is not even getting blood. It's like it's not online in those moments. And so until we can calm their bodies back down, they're really not capable of, of getting themselves out of that place. So that's why breathing, you know, I, I feel like sometimes parents will say, really breathing? Does that really work? It really does. And so we want to teach them ways to take deep breaths to dilate the blood vessels in their brain and get that blood flowing back to the prefrontal cortex. And the way I do it in my office is I call it square breathing. With boys, you can call it combat breathing. That's what a lot of the Navy SEALs use that. You know, they'll think it's cooler if it's called combat breathing. I'll have girls who don't want to draw square. They want to draw flower. Fine. Whatever it is they need to call it or draw. But basically some way to slow them down and get them to breathe in, pause, breathe out, pause. And 20 seconds of deep breathing resets the amygdala. So that's all it takes. And the reason that I like square breathing is they're drawing the square on their leg and that tactile sense of drawing is also what is called a grounding technique in cognitive behavioral therapy. So I would start with breathing and then I would move to grounding. And the grounding techniques basically get them out of the loop and are anything that requires focus. But like we were saying, the the sensory things are especially helpful. So my favorite one is 54321. So say you are in the car, if you're in a place where you can go to birthday parties or when birthday parties get to happen again, you have a child who has a little bit of social anxiety and they're nervous. So you'd have them do the breathing and then you'd say, okay, tell me five things you see right now. You know, I see the car on the side of the road. I see whatever. Tell me four things you hear. Tell me three things you feel. Tell me two things you smell and tell me one thing you taste. And because that requires focus, it pulls them out of the loop. Or you can, you know, say, tell me every thing you see that's a certain color, or tell me every word you can think of that starts with the letter S, or have them memorize a Bible verse and have them go back over that over and over out loud to you, or out loud to themselves if they're by themselves. So any of those things, you know, not only can they do with you and you can practice with them, but they can do sin in school if they start to get anxious, which I mean, not that they would start doing something out loud in school, but they can do five, four, three, two, one for themselves. So Those are my first two. And then the third is that I help kids come up with a name for their worry. With little ones, I'll call it the worry monster. With older ones, I call it the worry whisperer because that's what it feels like. You know, anxiety just kind of speaks these things to the back of our mind. Like you can't, it's too big, whatever it is. And so coming up with a name for it, when we can do that, it takes away some of its power. Like that's not you. That's not even truth. That's just worry trying to get at you again. And what we see developmentally is these kids that have these looping thoughts, it shifts from one thing to another. So maybe it's something bad happening to my mom and dad. Then maybe it's I'm afraid of throwing up or I'm afraid of getting sick like COVID. 
Then maybe it's, I'm afraid of failing in school or doing poorly in sports. You know, it just morphs and is basically the worst thing they can imagine developmentally. And so when they can start to recognize worry's voice as worry, it doesn't matter what the thing is that it's showing up as in that moment because the same tools work. And then you can say as a parent, sounds like worry's back. Now he's just bothering you about airplanes. What did you do last time that worked? Let's go back to that. Because one of the other things that research says is that anxiety has no memory. And so for any of us, when we get anxious, all the tools go out the window. You know, unless yeah. we remember, have them written down. I have high school kids put them in their phones all the time so they can pull it up and look at the things that work, which is not a bad idea for us as grownups either. So these are worrying thoughts, but would they be classified as intrusive thoughts? Is that the same Yes, thing? absolutely. Okay. It's the same exact idea. It's intrusive thoughts. And intrusive thoughts tend to be things kids don't agree with, don't believe in, worst possible thing that they could imagine, right? Exactly. And, and I think even to help kids understand that we all have intrusive thoughts. We have thousands per day. And the kids, that's where the one loop comes. Those intrusive thoughts get stuck for kids or any of us who have anxiety. Okay, this is so helpful. I know so many people are listening to us right now going, okay, I have a tool that's going to help my child. So thank you for yeah, that. That's wow. great. And the same tools work for us, which is great too. I do square breathing often on my own leg. <laughs> no, it's a great idea. I I had heard of it, but I never I never connected doing that grounding technique of yeah. kind of of outlining the box on your leg. I think that's brilliant. Okay, so let's switch to girls because you wrote a whole book about. Um, helping teen girls manage their worry and anxiety called Brave. Yes. Talk about how parents affect anxious daughters. Well, you know, there, there are a few parts of that. I mean, I think one of them is, I think sometimes we're not aware of the, press, of the pressure that they're feeling. I mean, I think adolescent girls, I just don't think it's ever been harder to be a teenage girl than it is today. And I think that's outside yeah. of COVID. I mean, I, I just... Social media. Social media. Good grief. Just that mm-hmm. in itself. Keeping up with the degree of snaps they have per day. You know, those streak things they have mm-hmm. going. I mean, I can't imagine what that's like. But I think there is more pressure academically than there's ever been. I feel like I hear daily about how high scores need to be on standardized tests to get into school. I mean, it's, it feels like it's next to impossible to get into college anymore anyway. You know, I mean, just, and parents feel the strain financially. And so I think we inadvertently try to get them their scores. There are just so many aspects of life that it's easy to unintentionally end up putting pressure on them and not giving them space just to be kids. And I could see that happening with daughters because girls are so much more mature than boys. Boys, to some degree, are kind of Teflon with things like that, right? (laughs) Right. It depends on the boy, of course, but a guy's just not going to hone in on these things like a girl is. Yes. You know, as a matter of fact, we have talked a lot in our office about how we have never seen girls care more about grades and pressure and all of that. And we've actually never seen boys care less. Mm-hmm. which is fascinating. And and I do, I mean, I'm worried. I'm very worried about adolescent girls because of that. I think it's just too much. And I think we've got to help them learn not only coping strategies, but we've got to help them learn to take breaks and even the idea of self-care for them. And, and part of, I think, what goes into it too, Allie, is that, you know, I, I read once and I have locked into this so significantly because I work so much with girls about how when something goes wrong in a boy's world, he blames someone else. And when something goes wrong in a girl's world, she blames herself. 
And we do that too as women. And so part of what I see happen and moms that are listening, I want you to hear this. I hope you hear every drip of graciousness I feel inside of me in my voice as I'm saying this to you. But I think moms are harder on girls and oldest girls typically are the ones who get the brunt of it or the ones who are most like us. And I think it spills over from how we often talk to ourselves, how we treat ourselves. And so really unintentionally, we can end up putting more pressure on them that I think can make it worse. Oh, that makes perfect sense. I joke all the time that if I had a daughter up there with one of my older boys, I would have had way more kids because I would have had somebody to take the pressure off me. (laughs) I would have put so much pressure on her. The Lord knew what he was doing, Hmm. giving me boys, because I would have been like, okay, here's a hand up. I would have been really hard on her. Yeah. Yeah, I totally see that. You write a lot about this sense of powerlessness that girls are dealing with. Will Mm -hmm. you talk about that a little bit too? Yeah, you know, it's fascinating because I feel like we're talking about the opposite so much culturally, but Mm -hmm. I feel like teenage girls feel more powerlessness than I've ever seen in all these years of counseling kids. And, And some of that, I think, is the pressure. Some of that, I think, the comparison has gotten so much worse. And, you know, when you're looking at a device, you feel powerless in a lot of ways in terms of the people that are getting together without you, all of those things. But I think they don't feel a lot of agency often in their own lives. And I think the anxiety has only made it worse. I'm afraid the pandemic will have made it worse too. And so, I mean, I feel like giving kids choices, helping them realize their voice matters, even valuing their opinion, asking, and I would say this is girls and boys, but I think And I sat with a family yesterday and I said, you know, I I could tell from who this mom was that I felt like she was talking about that they watch the that their adolescent daughter comes in and watches the news with them at night, which is amazing on one hand that their daughter will come in and want to do that with them. But, you know, I just had the feeling that she may be launched into what she thought about the news first. And I said, before you even say a word, I want you to say what do you think about that? And even if she says something wacky, you know, she can't vote yet. Her opinion really doesn't matter in all that ways. But the point is, especially for adolescents, we want to teach them critical thinking. We want to teach them to connect the dots. And when we're always connecting the dots for them, it not only says, I don't value your voice, your opinion doesn't matter to me as much, but we're not teaching them to think for themselves. And so I think anytime we can Like my magic formula in counseling all the time that I go to with families is empathy and questions. So boys and girls, but again, I think especially because girls can feel powerless to say in any situation that comes up rather than here's what you need to do. That sounds really hard. What do you think will help? What do you want to do? What do you feel like God wants you to do in this? Where we're putting it back on them because questions not only are helping them learn critical thinking, but it's saying, I believe you're capable of figuring it out. And that's the message we want them to get. I love that. It makes me think of what you said at the beginning of our conversation with helping children who have anxiety. You want to continually build them up that they can deal with it. Yes. Where is that line between building them up? I guess I worry it would be easy to accidentally come off as dismissive of their pain Mm. to continually say, it's going to be okay. You'll do fine. Yes. Where's that line? Well, and I think that's hard because, I mean, this is a whole nother (laughs) topic probably, but Kids are getting bigger and bigger with their emotions. This was before the pandemic. We were seeing this. I especially, I think with girls, am seeing this phenomenon of they're diagnosing themselves all the time. I mean, I have girls come in and say, well, I have PTSD or 
I have anxiety. And and some of them, I think they might be on target. And some of them have really big emotions and they feel like nobody's going to listen to them unless they have the biggest word they can find to describe it. And so I think when we're really dismissive, I think we can make that worse. And that's where that empathy part comes in. And I think we have to sit there. And especially with kids with really big emotions, I think we have to sit there sometimes longer than we want to. And and let me say, I think if you're, I don't know, what number are you on the Enneagram, Allie? I'm a seven. Okay. So uh, whenever I have a child that needs to talk to me about their emotions, I have to pump myself up yes. for it and go, I'm going to sit in their pain with them because yes. I just want to run screaming away. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I Especially love seven. you talked about it over and over again. <laughs> right. You know, yes. and like, here we go. We're going to talk about it again. We're going back to it's, it. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a serious thing for me. Yes. Kind of, psyching myself up for it. Yeah. And I love that you've tied that to being a seven, because I think that's a great place to kind of camp on our personality type, because I mean, I'm a one. And so I tend to want to fix it or help them come up with a solution really quickly, which I know there are a lot of other numbers that are going to impact. I mean, probably fours are the best to help them sit in with it in a lot of ways. But but I think I, even in counseling, sometimes I have to make myself, I mean, I will talk to myself and say, don't say a word, don't say a word, just keep listening, Mm -hmm. just keep doing, you know, it's, It feels so silly. Like if you're ever in marriage counseling and you're doing that initial, like what I hear you saying is, and it makes such a difference. (laughs) It really does. (laughs) And so I think to do some of that, yes, that sounds hard. Wow. Yeah. I can tell you're frustrated. Man, I can't imagine what that feels like. Tell me more, you know, and then just, I mean, just as long as you can sit there and then move to the questions because they really do want to be hard. And if your kids are talking to you, you want to hang on to that because that, That says just the fact that they're talking to you, that's a huge win in your relationship with them. I can remember when one of my sons tore his ACL and he was so sad about missing the rest of basketball season. And I don't remember what I said, but it was the classic Enneagram 7 silver lining. (laughs) And he looked at me and said, that's not helpful at all. Wow. That's, you know, that's just being dismissive of the pain. Wow. That's amazing he would say that to you. That's (laughs) awesome. I mean, it, it was at the time I was, I was shocked, Yeah, but I realized I can't just, I can't silver lining everything for my kids. Yeah. So had I not been called out for that, that's probably what I would do all the time. Yeah. And really when you think about it, I don't, I mean, well, two, I'm going to say two totally different things on this. One is I don't know that we're ever going to look back and think, man, I wish I wouldn't have listened to my kids talk about their emotions so much. You know, I, I don't think we're going to have any regret over that. But no. I also want to say I, it was fascinating to write this book for teenage girls because one of the things I read about was rumination. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I see it in my office. There is a point and I see it specifically with certain kids and certain personalities that I can tell there's a point where it's really helpful for them to be talking about their emotions. And then at some point, the helicopter starts to go down. And it's like, I can hear the blades going, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, no, we have left, like we've left productive talking at this point. And so, and I can tell they're feeling worse. And so that's when I think we have to pay attention to of sitting with them in it and to the point until the point that they start to get maybe repetitive or we can tell they're driving themselves to a darker place. And at that point, I think it's helpful to shift to some of the questions. Okay, that makes sense. This has been so helpful. Gosh, we could talk. I know. It's so fun to talk to you, Allie. Okay. Um, I have so many questions, but I'm like, okay, I got to wrap it up with one. (laughs) Before we get on to fun questions, what do you think is the most important thing that parents can do to support the mental health of their children? 
I know there's, a, I know there's 50 things, Yeah, what, what pops to mind? Well, I mean, right now, right now, the trend I'm seeing among parents, and I think we're all worried, we're all struggling to some degree. And so I mm-hmm. didn't, I hadn't even noticed it till I was asked this in a parenting seminar, but I think we're micromanaging mm-hmm. because I think we don't feel control and I'm seeing parents kind of clamp down in a way again that I don't think they mean to. And so I feel like right now, what I'm saying to parents the most is I want you to enjoy your kids. And I don't think we connect sometimes how good that is for their mental health. But it really is that we stop and we connect with them and we play with them. We go on bike rides with them. We listen to them, that they feel heard and valued right now and and enjoyed. Because I think part of what happens, and especially with teenagers, sometimes they're just not very enjoyable. And so they do still, I mean, kids, no matter their age, they still derive some degree of who they believe they are from what they see reflected back from you. Yeah. And so when we're just locked down and not enjoying anything, including them, I think it makes it harder. Can you give an example or some examples of what micromanaging as a parent looks like? Yes. Well, I think it can be in any way possible. I think we can get micromanaging about their schoolwork. You know, when it's even a child that we've trusted in times before, all of a sudden we're saying, have you done your homework? Wait, what are you doing downstairs right now? You need to be upstairs doing this. I think we can micromanage their choices they're making in terms of athletics, in terms of schedule, in terms of things they're involved in. I think we can micromanage their relationships. I mean, really any aspect of their life. And and I think some, again, I think it's always based on the best of intentions. I mean, I've, you know, I'm a one on the Enneagram and I think we're the worst at micromanaging. And I think we try so dadgum hard, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think we're trying to do everything possible that's good. And in light of that, I think we can lock down and get micromanaging and controlling and not mean to. Okay. That's super, super helpful. And I, I do like what you said earlier about how so much time with the family that was started in spring for some of us were still that way. My husband and I kept all of our boys who are still in school. We kept them home to do remote school this year. You are a a rock star. Well, the boys do it. We don't, we don't do it. But just having them home all day, every day, you're a rock star. (laughs) Allie, wow. It's actually been really good for our relationship with the boys. And it's been really good for the boys to get to know each other because they all lived with each other before, but it's, it's, they have a very deep relationship now compared to what they did a year ago. Now we're sending them back to school next year, (laughs) but because everybody wants to, Yeah, but it has been. There's been a lot of a lot of hard times this year, mm-hmm. just with the scariness and you know everything that's happened. But it really did teach me that even though we were together every day, we weren't really together. And that's something that I right. hope to bring into the future. Yes, I love yeah. that statement. Yeah. Okay. Now I have fun questions for you. Okay. I know you're Enneagram number. I know you're a reformer. So yes. I have that one. Down. I wish I wasn't. I would rather oh, be a really? seven. Enneagram ones are amazing. Oh. We're amazing. I know we're amazing for nothing enjoyable. I have a friend who says everything positive you can say about a one, you can say about a well-functioning lawnmower, (laughs) which is terrible. I try and tap into my seven a lot. I mean, actually, I say that. I do think there's some really amazing gifts of being a one, but I think we've got to learn how to value ourselves for those things. And I think it's tough. Mm, Okay. Okay. So let's keep it there for a second. Okay. 
So if anybody listening, if you don't understand ones, ones are reformers, you're known as the perfectionist, you want to do things right. Do you think all ones are harder on themselves than other numbers? That is what I have been told, that everybody has that self-critical voice, but that ones have it louder and more often than any other number. Okay. So you're always trying to manage that voice. Yes. Yes, exactly. That makes sense. What works best to manage it? Probably making sure I'm doing things that are not productive, that I love. I mean, I just need to be, I need to be having fun as much as I can possibly be having fun. I need to take vacations, all of those things, because I think I can, I can lose sight of that. And I think the more productive I am sometimes and the less fun I have, the more critical my voice gets. Okay. That makes sense. That resonates with me too. Mm. Well, you're better at having fun. (laughs) (laughs) And unless I'm in my one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I get it. Okay. What about a song that you have on repeat right now? So I love Cece Winans. Oh, yeah. And she has a new album, and there is a song that's a worship song called The Goodness of God, and I'm loving that song right now. Okay, wait. Did she redo The Goodness of God, the same song that Bethel did a couple of years Yes, I think it's the same song. <gasps> oh, that's okay. That sounds amazing. And you know. With some gospel edge, it's like, yeah. I'll take any worship song with a gospel edge, and it's going to be 10 times better. Oh, Me I too. love that. Okay. Yes. That's good. That's a great one. See, this yeah. is why I ask these questions. Okay. <laughs> what about a movie or a show that you love? You know what? I'm watching for the first time. I had to stop myself when I watched it before because it felt too much like my office, but I'm, I don't think I feel that way as much anymore. I'm watching Parenthood. I, I'm one of the only people in the world who hasn't seen it, and everyone oh, says it's amazing. It's really sweet. And it makes me feel like I'm watching the Gilmore Girls because um, Lauren Graham's character is feels like Lorelai all over again. Oh, super fun. Yeah. Okay. What about a book that you're recommending? So that's a great question. I am reading, I'm actually reading a book that I really like right now called Late Migrations. Mm-hmm. I lost my mom about a year and a half ago. I'm and so sorry. A, thank you. Me too. Um, and a friend recommended this book and it is, it's really neat. I mean, it's, I don't know about, what the author's faith is, but it's just, it's like a memoir and it talks a lot about loss and it's beautiful. I have loved it. Oh, late migrations. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. What about a new thing or a product that made you tell a friend that she had to have it? So I have a little sister who has a clothing store in Nashville, Oh, nice! which is really fun. Yes. And so I, she has really fun tennis shoes and I have these tennis shoes that are white with a little star on them that have a leopard toe. And Ooh. that is the thing that I'm getting asked the most about these days. And so I've been recommending people to go to Kay McCarthy <laughs> a lot. Okay. Now, what's the store name again? It's called Kay McCarthy. And I think on Instagram, it's Kay McCarthy Nashville. Okay. Where is it in Nashville? It is across the street from the Bluebird. It's next door. Do you know where King's Jewelers is on the mm-hmm. corner? On Hillsborough. It's right next to King's Jewelers. Oh, super fun. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm fully vaccinated now, so I feel like I can go out. Yes, me too. So, oh, you need to go. Yeah. Now I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't even have to worry. I just put my mask on and go. Well, text me and I'll come meet you there in person. I would love it. Yes, I would That'd love it. That'd be fun. Okay. Super fun. Okay. Last question. What are you excited about these days? 
Well, I have a nephew who just turned two, and they live about four blocks from me. And I would say he is the most exciting thing in my life these days, <laughs> most fun thing in my life. And we are going, we're taking him to Disney World for the first time in no April. Way. Yes, I, my, I turned 50 in the lockdown part of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we were supposed to go during my 50th year. Here you go. One on vacation. We were supposed to go to Napa and we were supposed to go to Africa. Oh, and no. so I know it's so <laughs> such a bummer. And the country we were going to in Africa said the president said that if you had Jesus living in your heart, you wouldn't get COVID and that they had no cases. So we canceled that trip really quickly. That was and, a good call. That was a, good yeah. call. A, lot of, a lot of churches operated on that. I know. <laughs> I That is the truth, Allie. So anyway, so we have, we're still not going to California or Africa, obviously, but we have shifted it to Orlando. And it, so this is like my 50th birthday at 51 and I just can't even wait. I'm so proud of you. We scheduled a trip to Disney in June as our like, we made it through lockdown. Yay. Vaccinated trip. Oh, that's so fun. You're going to have a great time. I know. I cannot wait. I'll have to give you all the tips. Two-year-old boy. I know. I know. And he's especially adorable, of course. He calls me Diddy. Get out. Really? I know. Yes. I know. It's so fun. (laughs) Yeah, okay, we were playing this- hide and go seek the other day, and he was running through the house going, "Where's my Diddy?" <laughs> I love like, oh. it. Yeah, love it, love it. Okay, tell us where we can find you and learn more about the new book. Well, our website is raisingboysandgirls.com, and we have a podcast called Raising Boys and Girls. And then Instagram, I kind of function in two different spots on the Raising Boys and Girls account that I do mostly with David Thomas, who does a lot of the boy version of what I do. And then on my own, Sissy Goff, especially right now, I just am trying to put out as much information as I can to help folks get through this time. Oh, well, we all appreciate it. Thanks, I need it. Allie. Um, oh. I say we recover Instagram from curated selfies to yes. information that helps people. Oh, I love that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, well, we're, we got to redeem it. Yes. <laughs> I'm so grateful that, that you're doing that and for your voice and who you are out there. It's oh, fun well, to get to connect you. with you. Well, likewise, Sissy, likewise. Thank you for coming on the show. This has been so fun. Thanks for having me. That was great, right? I'm giving away copies of her book, Brave. So just take a screenshot of the podcast while you're listening. Tag me, tag Sissy at Sissy Goff, G-O-F-F. And I am giving away three free copies this week. Okay, now let's move on to coaching time. The faith question is, I want to host a Bible study, but I didn't go to seminary. Is it okay for me to host one? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You can host a Bible study. And I'll tell you, if somebody told you that you can't host a Bible study because you didn't go to seminary or don't have a theology degree, they need to check themselves. Here's some things I want you to keep in mind. First Corinthians twelve twenty seven says the body needs each and every one of us. Contribute what you have, where you are, and you're going to be amazed to see what God can do with your willingness. You don't need to be the best educated, you don't need a degree. You And here's the thing, you don't actually have to teach. Many studies do the teaching for you and you only need to open up your home and have a place where people can have discussion or invite a friend, a mentor, somebody that can come over and lead the study who's comfortable doing it and who has experience. I want you to keep it simple. If people are coming over, 
You don't have to be the hostess with the mostess. Forget about a big spread of food. Ask everybody to bring a snack or don't worry about food at all. If you host it on Zoom or a Facebook group, just keep it super casual. What matters is connection. What matters is people learning new things about the Lord and getting into the word. That's the only thing that matters. If people are coming over, your house doesn't have to be perfect. And honestly, if it is perfect, it's going to make people feel bad because they're like, wow, she lives this way all the time because nobody else does. So I want to live in a world where we're all like, yeah, there's a little dog hair on the couch. It'll be fine. If you don't like it, here's a lint roller, right? Let's just be casual about it. It's easy for us to focus on what we don't have instead of what we do. It's easy for us to think about all the ways we're going to mess something up instead of thinking about all the good we're going to be able to bring to things. Just remember that by stepping out in faith and doing what you feel like God is calling you to do, that's going to outweigh any of the worries or the hangups you may experience. One of my favorite quotes is from Philip Yancey, and he says, God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. And it sounds like God is calling you, friend, to host that Bible study. So get on it. Okay, now it's time for recommendations. I don't have a movie this week, but I do have a song. It's the new song from Lauren Daigle called Hold On To Me. The chorus is absolutely perfect. She says, hold on to me when it's too dark to see you, when I'm sure I have reached the end. Hold on to me when I forget I need you, when I let go, hold me again. How good is that? It doesn't sound as good for me as it does from Lauren. (laughs) So... Go search for Hold On To Me on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to music. It's so, so good. Okay, that's another hour for us this week. I'm so glad you're here. I'm grateful for this time we have together every single week. I believe in you. I believe in your dreams. I believe in the work you're doing. I know that God has created you to stand strong and that he will strengthen you through any season. So keep stepping up. Keep showing up. Keep loving well. Let it all be messy and imperfect even when life doesn't make sense, even when life is hard, trust God's goodness and his grace. I'm honored to be a small part of coaching you. I'm happy to be a part of your week. I'll be back with you next Monday, and I hope you have a great day.